what what's nice about cost segregation is if you you've enjoyed, I've enjoyed, is that it creates this time value of money. It's a time value of money proposition. Why would you let the IRS and get this, everybody? Because I, I scream that I, I at the top of the roof, rooftops is why would you let the IRS hold on to your money for thirty nine years for a commercial property or twenty seven and a half years for a residential or apartment type project when you can get it in your in your pocket? now in today's dollars and use it to grow your empire that's the concept behind cost segregation you're just you're just taking it in today's dollars as opposed to letting the irs hold on to that money and you can grow and grow a lot faster are you looking for freedom freedom from the daily grind and hustle or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted then join us on the investing for freedom podcast our host mike ayala will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I've got a guest on the show, Terry Judge, and I'm super excited to get into this conversation. I recently met Terry um, through GoBundance. And Terry is in a niche that we're going to get into. We're going to get through the four questions, but I really, we're probably going to dive deeper into the core tenets of his business and philosophy. And we're going to get more in the weeds today than we probably normally do because this one part of real estate investing alone is where the magic happens. And Terry is an expert when it comes to cost segregation. And so I'm really excited to get into the show. Um, when I met Terry uh, recently, at uh, the Christmas party with GoBundance. I mean, we just connected and he's just such a great human. I mean, even today, he's uh, spending some time at home with his son who's home from college. And, and uh, you know, he wanted to kind of talk about that because usually he's in his podcast, um, you know, office. And, and uh, so we're going to just kind of take it raw and real. But that's the way we like it. And so, man, I think you guys are going to love this show today. We are going to really talk about, again, just some magic that happens when it comes to the tax code, real estate investing. And, you know, there's a lot of good things that we can do with being a real estate professional, um, depreciation, you know, accelerated depreciation. But really, without a cost segregation study, you are missing out on so much. And Terry said this off camera, like so many people are like, why didn't my CPA tell me this? And honestly, half the time. I don't even think they really, really fully comprehend it or don't want to, you know, take the time to deal with it. So I'll let Terry get into all that. But Terry, thank you for being on the show. Michael, I am uh, pumped up to be here, man. Great to see you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it's going to be so good, man. So, you know, I was I was sitting here thinking like, do we go through the questions? And I think the answer is yes, because we got to get to know Terry a little bit. But I really want to get into the meat of this because I think our audience is going to love this. Um, so Terry, who's had the greatest impact on your life? Oh man, I'd have to say my dad. I mean, I know it sounds a little, you know, cliche. Well, let's see. My dad, uh, number one, he was, uh, he's no longer with us, but he definitely left a mark on me. Just family, integrity, work ethic. So those are, so that was, and that's carried me now, you know, 55 years old. And now I try to teach my son uh, those same, those same things. But, you know, I gotta, I gotta give it up for Tony Robbins. I know it, it's, he's been around, he's the guy, but, you know, he probably the giant, Within, or what is it? The uh, his first book he ever wrote, uh, "Awaken the Giant Within." That was my first book before Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad. That was my second book, probably. So I would say he would be number two. But as far as inspiring me to, I was going down this engineering path. My my background was mechanical engineering, and 
before, but I really had all this entrepreneurial, you know, juices built up in me. And I, I didn't know how to like get it out. I, I just, I knew this path that I am actually, my parents wanted me to go down this engineering path, you know, go to school, get good grades, the whole thing. I started reading Tony Robbins, that first book. And it's really, it just, it, it really made me think. And it really connected with, with really who I wanted to become and really, really what I wanted to do and start getting into businesses at, at a young age. Man. And that's what I did because of that. So, so. love it. If you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? Oh my God, failure, without a doubt. Uh, without the failure, and it it was, a couple of my failures were impactful, like devastating, like, you know, no money. I mean, just broke, just not even, just kind of, I had a lot of success and was an idiot and then kind of didn't understand the money part of it and principles. And, and uh, so that was a hard lesson to learn, but I would say the failure, number one, without a doubt. You know, I, I, I appreciate the the honesty too, and this will kind of lead into the next question, but you know, so many of us, what, whether it's social media or the podcasts or, you know, from stage or whatever, we're hearing everybody's wins and successes and everything else. And, but man, it's those failures along the way that really teach us, you know, I learned a lot from the good in life, but it's the, it's the times when I really failed that probably give me the biggest lesson. And like you said, you know, the money piece, you didn't understand it. And so what did you have to learn through that process? So here's the next question. What was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it? Well, that goes right back to the second question. Probably my first business, thought I knew it all, thought, thought you know, I was making this money and I, I kind of hit quick in my 20s. Um, when I when I lost it all, I had to kind of really step back and try to figure out who I really was because I didn't know. I didn't know at that point. You know, I kind of lost my identity because I, I mean, going through it now that I look back, those were like, it was probably the biggest kind of that moment of truth where it really shook me. Mm. And uh, I kind of, kind of had to reset and rebuild and re and and that's kind of really how Core was born, basically in, in that realm. Um, that was 17 years ago. So I, I, you know, just probably what I learned the most was uh, just I, I think just kind of being more wise, more conscious of what I was doing and the people that I was doing it with. Mm. You know, I think it's critical who you surround yourself with. You know, the old saying, you become, you know, your your closest, your five closest friends or people that you're you're in. And I ended up getting in business with somebody that I shouldn't have. And I was hanging out with people that I shouldn't have. And now that I'm I'm really protective on kind of how I, who I surround myself with. And obviously, GoBundance has been just a, you know, it's just been a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I would have discovered it, you know, years ago. I don't even know when GoBundance was actually created. It's been a while, but anyways. Um, so yeah, I'm real picky about. I think who you surround yourself with is is critical. I mean, for those that are listening, that are you know a little bit younger, sometimes you want to be hanging out with people that are cool, and sometimes they lead you down the the wrong path. But I will say, you know, d- definitely with that note, what I've also learned is you know, surround yourself with people of where you want to be. And a lot of those people, if they do have integrity, they will stop them and help you and guide you. And I, now that I'm telling my son, my 20 year old son, who I look at that would around the clock, but now I can kind of pour back in him and hopefully he can um, not make the same mistakes that his, uh, his dad did. You know, that's such a thing to what you were talking about. Like most people that are successful are willing to take the time. And I just even think back to one of my first bosses. I was a plumber by trade. We didn't, we probably haven't talked about that, but I worked for this plumbing company when I was going through the apprenticeship program. And every time this guy would call a company meeting, he would always be like, listen, guys, we owe it to that next generation that's up and coming to teach them the trade. Somebody taught us 
and we owe it to the next person. So make sure you're taking the time. And I was always just like, what, you know, why is this guy like pushing? Because you're building that next generation. And most of those successful people, you know, are willing to take the time. And, you know, I've had so many people like, why would you take that call with me? And why would, because somebody did it for me. And so I love that, you know, it's just like, it's a lesson for those of us that are up and coming because really like we just, it doesn't matter what level you're at too. I love what you just said. It doesn't matter. You know, you don't have to wait until you're, you know, 40, 50, 60 and, and have all these, you can always teach somebody you know, that's just a little bit further behind you. You can always be mentoring. And that's the thing that, you know, I think is one of the keys to my success. I'm always looking for a mentor up and I'm always looking to offer that mentorship down. So love it. I love it. Yeah. You may have already shared this. I don't know. What is the single piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most? Uh, Besides join (laughs) GoBundance, you know, just find something that I, you know, and I know some of these things you, a lot of your, your guests probably come on and say this, you know, over and over again, but, but at the end of the day, and as we get older in life, life is so short. It, it's, it's unbelievable. Like my dad passed at 66, you know, I'm my, my brother and I were you know getting up there in our mid fifties. He's a little older than me. And at the end of the day, you just got to enjoy the, the ride. You cannot be so, you can't go after the money so hard that you forget about everything else in your path. And you start and you're wrecking relationships, just make sure you're doing what you like to do or love to do and just enjoy every day. You know, take time to enjoy yourself. Take put a pot, put it in your calendar. You know, I I am a monster in my schedule. And I just I I I just I stack everything. I mourn my flow. I get more done. And I've got all my appointments, all my calls. It, it, everything is usually Monday through Wednesday. And then Thursday, Friday, I kind of just either I go golf. I go do what I want to do. I just control my schedule and my schedule no longer controls me. Mm. And when you get to that point and it takes time to get to that point, you have to have systems. There's, you know, the people processes in your business. We can talk about all that stuff too, but um, you know, all that stuff takes a little bit of time, but when you get to that point, you know, it's awesome. But even when you're, before you get to that point, you know, make sure you're balanced, make sure you're enjoying yourself, make sure you're taking care of yourself, make sure you're going to the gym, going for a walk, whatever it is. I try to tell my kid, you know, just, you can't just sit in the house all day and do games when you're, or do gaming or whatever like that. You just, you got to get out. You got to go, got to go get some exercise. You go get some fresh air. And uh, those little habits I think are critical or just stop and read, do a pot. You know, we all, now I'm, you know, more, I'm, I never did meditation. I never did breathing. I thought it was corny. And, you know, my, my, that is now turned into my gratitude every morning. And I get a lot of peace in that. And it really sets my day. Every day I wake up, I'm having a phenomenal day today. Like I tell myself, I'm having a great day today. I don't care what's going on in my world. We all have highs and lows. And, uh, you know, so that, that part of it, I mean, you just become a happier person. Mm-hmm. And, 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 it, and it's, it's crazy when you start living your life like this that the attraction, you don't have to chase, 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 chase. There is a point you have to chase to get to a certain point. Like you got to really kick ass, but there's a time where you can, when you stop chasing, the magic kicks in and all of a sudden people start, they start just calling you, emailing you. They want to do business with you. They want to know who you are. And um, I didn't understand that concept all the way through my 30s. I didn't understand it into my 40s. And then when I got into my like early 50s, that's when things started to, change for me. My business started to grow exponentially. The relationships, the people that I wanted to do business with that I never thought I could do business with were reaching out to me. Hmm. And um, yeah, it's it's an interesting 
it's interesting when you kind of set that mindset and you start manifesting certain things in your life, uh, but you're enjoying the path every time. You're not just killing yourself all day long chasing. Because sometimes when you chase, you can't find, you can't get it. You just can't catch it. That destroys people. Yeah. I mean, that destroys relationships and or destroys you mentally. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm sorry for the. I'm dragging out. I just get I get really passionate about this stuff because I lived the other way and now I live this way and I want to share. And I think you do as well. I know you do. And it's you can live a joyous life yeah. and it's not all about the money but when you get everything else right i don't know what it is michael but the money just it just starts to compound yeah I right you start and i start i meet guys like you and i meet guys, I, and then they help me with my my passive investing and my real estate investing I, i've just i've owned this company for 17 years and i i'm like i get into go abundance i see these 25 year old kids just rocking it you know their net worths are like in the you know greater way bigger than mine i'm like what is going on here so it opens up your mind and i also will think i would like to say and i'll just end this just you know we always we set our goals but we don't think big enough mm. and i would just like to say you know think massive mm. think bigger and it will it you know things will start to kind of take shape and hold in your life and it doesn't matter how old you are man just you know, just apply some of these principles that Michael talks about and some of these other people that you probably subscribe to and start implementing it slowly, but surely things start to uh, really grow. Yeah. So good, man. And you know, a couple of things on that. Number one, you never need to apologize because that's what I love. You know, I get a lot of feedback from my guests and my guests are always saying, I love how you just let your guests on the show talk about what they want to talk to. Cause that's the magic when Terry judges like excited and I'm yeah. sure you're going to get excited about, you know, cost seg and everything else. But when you're passionate about something, um, so you don't need to apologize because that was beautiful. Um, the second thing, you know, you said something and my wife, Kara, always says this. She says money is just energy. It's an exchange of energy. Right. And she said, when you chase money, money literally runs from you. And I loved what you yeah. were talking about, because when you get everything else right and you get clear on your goals and your vision and and what you want, and you start thinking bigger um, you get your relationships right, you get your connections right, and you just come from an area of serving. That's what Kara's really talking about. When it when we make it about the money and we're chasing that money, it just runs, man, because it's an energy. Yeah. So um, love, love, love everything that you said. It's so good. Um, now, I'm really, really excited. Um, I have found myself, you know, in the last six months, literally having more conversations than ever with people that are having their awakening. And I've got this concept, which I won't go into the details on this, but like the seven levels of freedom, when I'm talking about this, level one is always an awakening. And I've talked to so many people that are successful in life, they're cruising along and they're having their awakening. And one of the things that is kind of like just this big next level, like chasm is tax. And one of my early advisors Tom Wilwright, you know, he always says, if, oh, yeah. if you want to change your fat, if you want to change your tax, you have to change your facts. And I've just sat with him so many times and just listened to him. And, you know, he talks about how depreciation is the magic. And if you want to make more money, the fastest way to do it is to keep more of what you already have. And I'm excited to have you on the show because you are an expert at helping not only syndicators. I don't even really want to spend a ton of time on that because you know, yeah. pe- people can invest with us passively and they get the benefits of us doing cost segregations and accelerated depreciation and all of that. But I think most people that are in that camp have a basic understanding of it. I want to kind of bring this down to like, and I'm just going to kick it back to you because you are the expert in this. So let's talk about just back to what Tom Wilright says. If you want to make more money, 
save more of what you currently have. And so I'd love for you to just touch on cost segregation. What is it? How do we take advantage of it? And why does it exist? And why the heck don't more people understand it? Yeah, well, I mean, Tom is awesome. I, I, I subscribe to Tom. He's, uh, you know, the guy's just a, you know, he's a genius in that realm. But, you know, depreciation is the eighth wonder of the world. And uh, it's just not something that was talked about from an IRS standpoint for years and years and years. You know, it was in the tax code since 1969. A lot of people don't know that. It went away in the in the tax reform in 1986. Came back in the early 90s under a couple big lawsuits that the the tax uh, the the U.S. Uh, IRS lost in the U.S. tax court against Walgreens and another uh, hospital corporation of America. Big lawsuits actually brought cost segregation back around probably the early 90s. And there's only like the big boys that were taking advantage of cost segregation and their high powered attorneys and, and some of the big four accounting firms. It really it didn't start trickling down to middle America till probably early 2000s. I started my company in 2006 and I was screaming from the rooftops trying to get CPAs to, you know, start to offer this stuff. And finally, you know, after just pounding, 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 it it, it started to kind of, you know, CPAs were like, oh my God, like, how did I, this is amazing. But they didn't, you know, obviously CPAs, no fault of CPAs. They just don't do this in-house. There's there's three components why this is so complex. There's engi- there's a there's a whole engineering realm around cost segregation. There's 300 court cases and IRS revenue rulings and memorandums that drive why we can do cost segregation. And then there's depreciation, which every CPA knows and loves and, and, and does. So if you and I buy a building for a million dollars, that is automatically going to depreciate over what we call the straight line method. That's the normal accounting method in the United States. That's how accountants, that's what they've learned in college. They don't understand this this thing. It was kind of foreign. It still is kind of foreign. It's got a crazy name. I mean, cost segregation. It's like, geez, can we just change the name? It's especially with all this equality stuff going on. It's just a nuts kind of, it's a nutty name, but I I like to call it cost allocation studies. Mm. Um, But, you know, it, in the, so there's two there's two, basically two pathways, Michael. There's you know there's one that's what I just mentioned. You can depreciate a property, and there's nothing wrong with that. Some people say I'm just going to depreciate over the long term. I'm going to hold it forever, whatever. And a lot of people, you know, they're old school. They don't want to learn. Some CPAs they just don't want to embrace this. They to this day, I still I have I have a CPA right now that I'm fighting with. Um, that's just so anti cost segregation, but it's because they just you know, they don't take the time to really dive in. Um, And this this new pathway is is a way where in the law, it's in the tax code, you are not doing anything aggressive by doing cost segregation. It just allows a company like mine, you have to, you have to, if you're going to do cost segregation or go down that path, you really need to engage, you know, a specialized tax and engineering. That's what we are. We are not a CPA firm. We are a tax and engineering firm. And we really understand the law and and we and you really have to understand the law. You have to understand how buildings are put together. And there's a whole I'm not going to go down that road on this podcast, but there is a laundry list of things. And I've been fortunate enough to have, you know, my engineer, my engineers that are um, that are on my team that are with me in my company. They are they've been around for you know they've been in the game since it started. I mean, they, they've been around in the 20, you know, 20 years. So they've seen all the, the ebbs and the flows. And so it just allows us from a legal standpoint to break apart the building down to the electrical outlet. And these components get to be plucked out of these, the straight line world and put into these shorter buckets. 
And what what's nice about cost segregation is if you you've enjoyed, I've enjoyed, is that it creates this time value of money. It's a time value of money proposition. Why would you let the IRS and get this, everybody? Because I, I scream that I, I at the top of the roof, rooftops is why would you let the IRS hold on to your money for thirty nine years for a commercial property or twenty seven and a half years for a residential or apartment type project when you can get it in your in your pocket? now in today's dollars and use it to grow your empire that's the concept behind cost segregation you're just you're just taking it in today's dollars as opposed to letting the irs hold on to that money and you can grow and grow a lot faster by taking that depreciation against income and then that has a 20-year carry forward so there's a lot of moving there's a lot of levers with cost segregation it's not just oh i'm going to write this property off you know in one year to five years there's there's a lot of different things when you're renovating when you're exiting, uh, when you're buying, you're building, how these studies come together to really maximize every nickel that is your, it, you're entitled to it because it's in the tax law. It's not something that we've, oh, we're getting creative and we're going to try to do this loophole thing. And hopefully whenever it, get, it never gets the spotlight on it. So that's important that it's done. I guess my message is, you know, A, if you're buying real estate, you, ne- you really need to be doing it. And B, not all cost segs are created equal because there's different layers based on what type of property, when you bought it, what are you doing to it? Are you rehabbing it? Are you converting it? Are you exiting? What's the, what's the, you know, what's all that look like? Anyway, so that's hopefully I'm not, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but I really wanted to kind of talk about a few things that are kind of top of mind and why cost seg is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. And it's, you know, the thing that I've learned um, over time is I need to have a basic I probably have a little bit more than a basic understanding of this, but I need to have a basic understanding of what cost seg is. And then also, you know, tax and all the different things. But the reality is, you know, I'm interested in the people on my team. And so even, you know, I've been with, uh, Tom Wheelwright's old company provision for, I don't know, nine or 10 years now. And we've done a ton of cost seg. And so to kind of clarify what you were saying, or to bring it down, like, I don't have to understand every step of it. I just have to understand it exists and I have to trust my CPA. And here's what my CPA says. We need to get a cost seg done and we're going to hire, you know, core to do it. My CPA won't touch it. And I love what you said a little bit ago. Like this isn't, a lot of CPAs don't even want to talk about it, but even, you know, it, it's not their job to do it either, but we need to understand it. And that's why I really wanted to have you on because if our CPA isn't recommending it, we need to push them to hire core, to hire Terry Judge, to help us, or at least to understand it. And so that's what I love about ProVision. Casey Myers is always like, Cossack, Cossack, Cossack. We need to hire an expert. And so I hire my expert CPA. They tell me to hire, you know, an expert like Terry Judge. And then we let them do all the work. And so I don't have to understand all the nuts and bolts. I just have to get it from a macro perspective. And so here's my question. Let's just talk, let's get in the weeds for a minute. Like for people that are listening, who should, in your mind, like what level of real estate investor should be considering or at least having a conversation with core and with your team about doing cost segs? Is this for, you know, single families? Is it for, is it only for multifamily? Is it only for Walgreens? Um, I think you kind of already touched on that, but like who should be considering it? So anybody that's, whether you're just starting, you're looking at your first duplex, mm. short-term rental, all the way up to the big syndicators that are, you know, doing this for years and years and years. So it, it really is um, designed for really anybody. Our our kind of rule of thumb is five hundred thousand dollars in basis. So if you're going to buy a property, 
you know, as long as it's over $500,000 and above in, in purchase price. Now, there, we do back out a little bit of land. Land does not depreciate. Land improvements do. And I'll, I can talk about some of the five-year and 15-year in bonus and all that stuff here in a minute. Uh, but that's really, um, yeah. So, you know, that that part is um, is key. You know, that that um, anything over half a million, we, we will run a no-cost benefit analysis mm. to show you. Because even on a half a million dollars, like, let's say you even have like five single-family homes that equal uh, 500,000, that'll generate about $150,000 in year one uh, bonus depreciation that you can use immediately. If you're a real estate professional, um, again, you can use the whole thing off of their, you can actually use it against other income streams. You know, and if you're, if you're not a real estate professional, uh, basically you do real estate for a career, you can use it. And it has a, if you're not, if you're uh, just, you know, you're, you got a W2 and you're investing in real estate and you bought your first duplex, that's awesome. You can use the depreciation against the income that that property will produce. And then it has a 20 year carry forward. So you never lose it. So it really wins. For, so I would say about, a, I would say, you know, anybody that's looking to, to buy their first property uh, all the way up the the food chain. Yeah. And you said you guys will do a no cost analysis. Um if it's 500,000 or more? We will. Yeah. And if it's even like, for instance, people are coming to us. We didn't really want to get into the residential world. The short-term rental game really opened up our eyes. Um, we are doing short-term rentals, Airbnb style investment properties now all over the country. So we had to kind of create a, a new division within the company. And then with that, and even working with some of the Go, ben, Go, yeah, Go Abundance guys, I had two wisdom teeth or two teeth yanked yesterday, man. My mouth is still like throbbing. So yeah. sorry about that. Um, we are working with guys that have portfolios of, you know, 50, 60, 100, 200 single family homes that they've, and these guys are in the know. They just never thought Coseg would work in their residential single family rental portfolio. Mm. And when we run the numbers, they're like, oh my gosh, mm. I mean, it's in the millions of dollars. And so we're still doing, if somebody comes to us and they've got a, let's say a $300,000 investment property, and they're going to put in, let's say $50,000, $100,000 in renovations, even if it's not we, we used to be pretty strict on the 500 grand and up, but because of what this thing called bonus depreciation, it's just been an amazing thing. It still makes sense mm. to to go even below a little bit below 500 grand. Or if you've got two properties that equal, you know, 500,000 or more, it really makes sense. I always tell people, listen, just bring it to us. We put it into our software. We can create a benefit analysis that's custom to you based on your property, based on renovations. Um, and it'll spit out a near-term savings analysis on the on the first page, and you can kind of see like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. So that's what we kind of advise: just see what you got. There's no obligation. You never know. It's the hidden treasures of the in the tax code. It really is. You know, I, just a quick question on that. So you were talking yeah. about you know people that you've been in touch with that have you know ten houses or a hundred or five hundred or whatever. And is here's my question. Yep. If somebody's listening and they've got a portfolio or they've got a $500,000 property or a $10 million property or a bunch of them, and you know they've had them for 10 years, is it too late to do a cost segregation? Great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, so the IRS has a provision that goes along with this whole thing we're talking about depreciation. We call it a look back study. And what we do as a company is what we file 
because uh, most CPAs, again, no, no offense to the CPA community, they just, they're, they, this is just not part of their practice, mm. especially with real estate investors, where we have to file what's called a 481 adjustment. It's a change in accounting. <clears throat> we get to go back one time. It's an automatic consent from the IRS. The IRS will not contest it. But we can go back to the day, the, the, the purchase dates of each property. We redo the depreciation. We recalculate the depreciation, or the, let's say the missed depreciation. And we're allowed to carry it forward to the to the current tax year. And then that creates a 20-year carry forward from there. Wow. So if you're sitting on property that you've never had a cost segregation uh, done or you never really explored it, you know, I would highly advise uh, highly advise you to kind of go down that road. We can run the numbers and it'll spit out this uh, look back depreciation. Jeez. So we can go we can go back to look to get this, Michael. We can go back to 1987 legally and rerun all of your depreciation schedules. Now we don't, you know, we don't do that anymore, but we, we'll go back 10 years, 12 years. Um, and then we we file what's called a 481 adjustment. When we file that 481 adjustment, that will go along. We will send that to your CPA. That CPA then will file that 481 adjustment with the tax returns. And um, we can avoid, this is the big thing, no amended returns. We can avoid amending the returns, which is a big deal. So it's a clean one-time consent. Yeah, we do a lot of look-back studies. I mean, it goes in spurts, you know, so we've been doing a lot of new and new acquisitions, new ground up, stuff like that. But um, I'd say, you know, 20, 30% of our of our practice is people that are like, oh my gosh, you know, they start looking at this and they're like, well, wait a minute, you know, I got this building, I, I owned it for all this time. I thought it was too old, maybe too small, you know, let us run it. And again, for every million dollars in basis, you guys, a cost segregation study will generate about 300 grand in near-term tax savings. And what's beautiful about what I said earlier is that that 300 grand can usually offset other income. So if you've had a capital gains event from an exit and you and, and, and you've got this money sitting over here that you're thinking, oh my God, I got to pay Uncle Sam on all this gain. A cost segregation can help wipe out that gain. You yeah. can use it. So passive investing goes against other passive income. And then active, which we can talk to, Michael, a little, um, if you want, just real quick. Active income can wipe out active income. And there's, again, there's there's levers that can be pulled. So having somebody, whether it's our company or, or, or another reputable company, they can help you kind of walk through your portfolio and making sure. Because every time we get engaged, and let's say somebody has done costing in the past, there's usually, and, and again, there's there's probably five or six different things within the cost segregation that nobody talks about. And there's things called disposition. There's things called qualified improvement property. There's things called repairs and maintenance that when, when we go in and we start dissecting someone's portfolio, we're like, oh my God, not only are we getting the new depreciation from the cost seg, but we're also getting things from the past that whoever did looked at it before, or maybe their accountants, again, not really plugged into all the different rulings because everything is every two years, cost seg goes through this transformation. And there's there's always a flavor of bonus depreciation. There's certain things that we can do on what's called disposition when you're when you're gutting out a property or renovating a property and you're removing assets from the property. 
believe it or not, those assets that are being ripped out of the property can be monetized, mm-hmm. even though you're throwing them in the dumpster and you're thinking, well, wait a minute, how can that be? How can I get tax incentives on rent things I'm throwing in the dumpster? Well, the IRS still looks at it. When you buy that property, they have they have full values. And then we calculate what those values are. And so when our engineers can get to that property before the renovations occur, we usually can go from 30% depreciation to 50% depreciation write-offs because a lot of that stuff gets just gets missed. Mm. Okay. And we can even go back in time and re- recalibrate uh, your portfolio. And usually that'll kick out hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in benefit with a 20 year carry forward. So I, I, it's just like, it's just like the gift that keeps on giving. And every time, you know, and I know like guys like you, Michael, you're buying, you're not just buying one building and you're like, Oh, let's call it Terry and do a cost seg. You're at least buying one or two or three a year. And you're always deferring, deferring, deferring the capital gains, rolling things into the next property, doing a 1031 exchange with a cost segregation study, which is like the mother load of, you know, it's the one, two punch, on on deferral. So in in essence, savvy real estate investors like you and a lot of my clients, that's why these guys just don't pay taxes. Yeah. You know, why some guys pay thousands of dollars in taxes and other guys, they're like, I had my best year and I paid, you know, I paid very little. So um, it's more that you can give, it's more that you can donate, it's more that you can help, it's more employees you can hire, more equipment you can buy. Um, you know, it, it's just, uh, if you know how to leverage, then you're, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be an investor. You know, so many people, I have so many thoughts on that and I want to just keep yeah. kicking it back to you, but a couple things to just kind of recap that I'm hearing. Um, so number one, I get asked this question all the time and I'm just going to, you know, why, why don't we know about this? And the thing is, is like, it's, it's clear, it's written, it's in the IRS tax code. The thing is, it's like so complicated, but when we flip the script and we have the right CPA and the CPA understands that the tax code is just, it's just a set of, of rules that the IRS gave us. So why would they let us do all of this? Because they want us to keep investing in housing, in business, in buildings and things that create jobs. And so that's my like layman's, uh, you know, answer to that. And then the next part of this, you know, you said something and I just want to make sure that I, um, we can, you, you can go back. And so I'm even thinking about one building, honestly, um, this is why I love having these conversations because I understand this and I utilize it all the time, but I'm thinking about a particular building that I have that I've never done a cost segregation on because I don't have a tax problem and I didn't know about it when I bought this building. And so it's just kind of out of sight, out of mind. And so when you're talking about a look back study, I'm going to have you guys do a look back study on a building that I have because I haven't needed to really do it and I haven't thought about it. But yeah. if I heard you right, I've got some, I got some capital events coming that are going to be a problem for me. And so I'm sitting here listening to this. So if I heard you right, or if anybody in the audience is listening to this, I could take this building, have you do a look back study. You guys could um, get the look back study done and then I can file it this year on my taxes and I can carry it forward for 20 years. That's what you said, right? Correct. Man, man, so good. And the other thing that I just had this thought when you were saying that, somebody might be listening to this and saying, well, okay, even if I had Terry Judge and um, core do a look back study, or I have them, you know, do a cost seg. And then I bring this look back study to my CPA and they're like, no, we're not doing that. The only thought that I have, and this isn't Terry saying this, this is me fire the CPA. Like that's all I'm, (laughs) that's all I'm going to say to that. And, and uh, man, I just, I just love, love, love this. So 
Um, I do want to circle back to something that you said. You talked about um, active against active and passive against passive. Can you touch on that a little bit? And then I want you to talk about, you had said something off camera for the guy that's not a real estate pro there's some things that we can do as well. So I want to make sure we touch on that because if I have a hundred conversations with people in my audience, most of them don't are not yet at the place where they're number one, taking advantage of the real estate professional status because number one, they don't understand it or number two, they don't qualify yet. So I want to make sure we touch on that. Yeah. You know, let me just say this, all this stuff is, can be complicated and, and over overwhelming, right? You know, and, and I think that's why you got to have good people on your financial team. Whether it, what you got a good CPA, you got a good attorney, you know, you're you're partnering up with other investors or whatever you're doing, um, and then also a good cost seg firm to align with and, and make make don't don't make that an afterthought. Make it be be proactive. Um, as far as and there's just rule, right? There's just tons of rules. The IRS tax code's got seventy thousand pages. It's ever changing, just like cost segregation. So, but the rules are if you're active, you can you can you can use. And then there's rules of like what what constitute active income versus passive income. So if I, if at my company, I get, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a salary, I own the company, but I, you know, I get my salary and my distributions and all that stuff. That's active income. So when I go into a real estate deal and I invest in a real estate deal, that's considered passive. I'm, a, I'm not active in it, right? I'm active in my business. I'm passive in my real estate. So those two do not, I cannot use one to the other. I can't offset now I can use, I can become a passive investor and I can use that depreciation. It comes on my K1, it's a paper loss, it eats up the income, it's beautiful. If I put a hundred grand into a, an, uh, as a limited partner, you know, I could get a hundred thousand or 80,000 or $70,000 in depreciation with a 20 year carry forward that I'll, I won't pay taxes on the income of that property that I'm investing in. So that's number one, that's beautiful. Unless you're a real estate professional, you have to be you know, basically you're doing real estate as your full-time, you know, career. You have to have 750 hours and above. And then you can then now use, you know, your you 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 buy, you get into a deal, and now you can use that depreciation to offset other income where wherever else it's coming in from. You know, and that's beautiful, whether it's a W-2, whether it's capital gains, that's but a lot of us like me, I can't qualify for that. I just don't spend all my days looking for buildings and, and properties. Maybe in my next life, um, you know, I can do that. But the only thing I can do, and so if you're if you're a W two person, if you're not a real estate professional, there is something else out there for guys like us and Gales, uh, where you only if you buy a, a short term rental property, you can then the IRS will allow that to be considered active income as long as you manage that property at a hundred hours a year. Okay, so your material, we call it material participation. It's 100 hours a year. I can buy a short term rental property, which I just did, by the way. So it's, I'm, I'm, it's pretty fresh. I can talk about it. Back in um, August, September of last year, down in Naples, I was able to cost segregate that property. I was able to pull out 200 grand. The IRS will allow me to use that 200 grand as active depreciation. I can use it now. I can completely bring it over here, hand it to my CPA. They can take 200 grand off of my adjusted gross income. So it just it reduces my, my total income. Could put me in a lower tax bracket also, by the way. And I can use that 200 grand immediately to write off some of my, my income that I'm making over here in my, in my business. So for me, it's like, okay, now this year, I'm like, 
my main motivation now is not what it what's the cash flow looking like. My motivation is how do I offset my taxes? Taxes, I know I sometimes people are like, oh my God, I don't want to talk about taxes. It's so freaking boring. But taxes is like a big line item. And as you're making money, man, it's something you got to face, you got to plan for. And what Michael and I are kind of, you know, kicking it with this stuff is powerful. And uh, so I just wanted to kind of share there there is another pathway that really just kind of came about in the last 12 to 15 months. That's why this stuff is so fluid. Mm -hmm. I can go on and on with what just came out in the CARES Act when Trump was in office. And it's still in the tax code, by the way. Biden tried to shut some of the stuff down, but it survived and and we're good to go. Um, So. So any, I, I'll just kind of shut up, Michael, and throw it back to you if you want any follow-up questions on the vacation rentals for those that are W-2s. Start looking at it, and it's awesome because if you buy in the right area, it absolutely pays for itself. You get the rental income, which is it's crazy. It helps pay down the, the nut, the mortgage, and you get to take the depreciation in something that's we're in a climate right now called, and I'll shut up in one second, bonus depreciation. Um, last year was the the last year of 100% depreciation that you're able to take from a property. This year, it's still going to be phenomenal. It's just 80% that you get to take in year one. The other 20% gets spread out between five years and 15 years. It's still phenomenal, but okay, I'll throw it back to you. No, it's so good, man. We, might, we, might, need, we might need to do a round two, to be honest, because that's why I wanted to keep you know the question short. And uh, I, I, man, this is so powerful. And and I want to do the audience justice. Let me just ask yeah. one question on the on the short-term yeah. rental thing. So if somebody's listening and they have a short-term rental and they want to take advantage of or potentially take advantage of the material participation, is it still $500,000 to approach you? Is that still kind of like the, does is that the magic number for short-term? You know, it, it, most of the short-term rentals that we're seeing are over 500 grand. Yeah. I mean, my condo was over 500 grand. I mean, most of these short-term rentals, because you want to buy them in a decent area, mm-hmm. you know, you get in the Smokies, you get in the Carolinas, you get closer to the ocean, you get downtown into a city. They're, these things are going to be eight, 900,000 uh, all day long. But if you've got like a, you got lucky and you found something that's your Airbnb in it and you're getting cash flow and you're, you know, you're managing it. Um, yeah. If it's 350 grand, we'll take a look at it. Yeah. If you got a couple of them, they're 250 each, bring them, bring them to us. We'll, we'll definitely help you and, and kind of go through that. Yeah. And see, that's what I think is the beauty. Like, I mean, I'm sure you've got my audience like super interested. And so we don't Hope have so. to have like, um, you know, all the answers. It's just like, where do I go? And so here's my, I guess my last question. Um, well, maybe we'll see if, you, if somebody's listening right now and they're like, okay, yes, I have a property, 10 properties, whatever, but I know my CPA isn't going to, you know, be on board with this or, or they go talk to them and they're not on board. And I know we have to be kind of, you know, not careful just from a legal perspective, but I know you're going to be, you know, just kind of nice about this. Um, Politically correct. It's called. Yeah, exactly. Like fire the CPA, go see Terry and then take your cost segregation and go find a CPA that will allow you to utilize it. And I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people that are making really good money um, that have a major tax problem or not. I mean, even if it's not $40,000 is a big tax problem. And if you have like a Airbnb, you said something a few minutes ago that was just really powerful, even at a smaller scale, if you're paying $40,000 in taxes and you go buy an Airbnb for 500 K and you're like, 
there's a question that gets asked all the time, like, why are people buying these properties that are not cash flowing or they're cash flowing 5%? Well, maybe they're saving $40,000 a year in taxes because they bought this property. And, you know, so they're they're making another, I mean, even if it's $1,000 a month, so it's $12,000 a year of tax savings. But some of these can literally be up to, you know, 40, 45, $100,000, as Terry was saying it, that you could offset in year one or even carry it forward and split it. There's a whole other world that exists out here when it comes to tax benefits and you keep touching on it. And so yeah. what, I mean, even if you have to pay a CPA, you know, 10,000 or 20,000 or even, you know, more, and, and you're going to offset this, like go find the right CPA and pay Terry judge to do what he does Huge. because this is magic. Yeah. So it, 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 it's a great point, Michael. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, um, no discredit to the CPA communities out there, but um, there, there are other CPAs that are really focused on real estate and they really work with entrepreneurs and you want to be in alignment with your goals. It's just like when you get into the financial wealth planning, some of the wealth planners out there are not, they're not, they don't have your best interest. They're not, it's not in alignment with what you're trying to create in terms of wealth with real estate. So you want to make sure that whoever you're kind of lining up with, I'm sure a lot of your listeners, Michael, are real estate investors or, or they want to get into real estate and they want to grow their empire because they know that this is probably the fastest way that you can do it, listening to you. So I network with lots of CPAs that are phenomenal people, depends on what area, what market. I'm happy to make some introductions. That And these these guys are really dialed in and they understand cost seg probably better than I do mm-hmm. in terms of just you know I- implementing um, the nuts and bolts and the nooks and crannies of it. And, um, you know, I, I would be happy to, I get, and I, in, in your spot on, I get asked all the time, Terry, you know, I, my CPA was great, went to college with the guy, you know, now, but I'm, I'm really growing and I need somebody else because he doesn't understand kind of the, 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 the LLCs and the, and how do we set up the structures and, and, and so on and so forth. So anyways, we would be happy to, uh, to do that. Yeah. Well, um, I appreciate it. And again, we'll come back and, uh, and, and do some more of this, but yeah. if, if nothing else, if you're listening to this and you're curious, reach out to Terry Judge. I'll, I'll let Terry explain how to do that here in a second. Um, yeah. Reach out to me. I'll get you in touch with... By the way, as a side note, I know a lot of guys who swear by Terry and his company. So um, oh, yeah, nice. just just uh, reach out to Terry. If nothing else, he can put you in touch with a CPA that will will get done what needs to get done. So Terry, how do people find you? Uh, best way is uh, my email, just my name. So it's Terry Judge. J-U-D-G-E, just like here comes a judge, uh, at coreadvisors.net. Terry Judge at coreadvisors.net. Just shoot me an email. And I'm, you can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn and all that too if you want to shoot me a DM. Um, I, I respond you know, fairly quickly, usually that day or the next. So yeah, feel free to hit me up and love to chat with you. See well, if I can help. Again, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your experience and knowledge. And I am confident that this episode alone is going to save people millions of dollars um, in their taxes. So appreciate the work that you do. And don't be scared to reach out to Mr. Terry Judge. Um, Let's save some taxes. I appreciate you, man. You're awesome. Thank you, sir. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.